Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. This is episode number 16 with Business Horsepower. Welcome to Thrive Radio. I'm your host, Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and business coach, and I've decided to bring on other successful entrepreneurs to share their story and how they're helping others to do the impossible. With me today is Julia Felton of Business Horsepower. Julie believes businesses can be improved through leveraging the wisdom of horses and applying the laws of nature where there's no wasted time, energy, and resources. Julia is an executive coach, published author, and mentor. She encourages business leaders to challenge the status quo and step out of their comfort zone to see things from another perspective. Welcome to the show, Julia. Hi, welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you, and, and um, even for the, the big launch of all these interviews, I'm really excited. I would really love for you to start out and tell your story. You know, we have some similarities in our background and I absolutely yeah. love <laughs> And just so some people know your journey of creating your own business. Mm, yeah. God, I didn't know that I'd ever create my own business. That's for sure. I'm not one of these people that, you know, when I was younger, I decided I was going to be an entrepreneur and it's, uh, it's been a bit like, um, yeah, it's been a rocky road along the way as I've kind of navigated my way through. But my business is called Business Horsepower for a reason. And partly I work with horses in that. And I've always had a passion for horses, but they've never really been a very big part of my life. When I was younger, um, I always wanted to have a horse and I never did. And my dream when I was a young kid was to be a riding instructor and teach everyone to ride. <laughs> but my parents always told me, no, you've got to get a proper job and there's no money in horses. And you know what? I, I didn't, haven't shared this with you before, Amy, but I was just thinking about it. You know how your parents set up beliefs in you? What happened was um, my parents, because when I used to work at a riding stables and, well, work, you're seven, eight years old, you hardly work, you know, you're just helping out there. And we were meant to get free rides. And I never got them because I was always, it was never about the riding for me. It was always about relationships with horses. But my dad used to get really annoyed that I never got the free rides. And he didn't know anything about the horse and the equestrian industry. So I set up this belief in my parents that you couldn't get paid working with horses. And then they fed that back to me. And I'm like, I don't know. And then I was like, well, you can't get paid working with horses. So for a long time, I had a belief when I was younger that I was never going to be able to make any money doing my passion. <laughs> So that's how I ended up in the corporate world. And you and I, as we both discovered, both ended up working at Deloitte. Exactly. <laughs> Which is too funny. But there I was working in the corporate world. I had a very successful career, um, first of all, in the hospitality industry and then as a hospitality consultant. And it's amazing when you join the dots, like Steve Jobs says, and you look backwards, you see what has really happened. And I was actually bought into Arthur Anderson, one of the largest accountancy firms in the world at the time, back in the mid-1990s, to set up a hospitality and leisure research team. And I now realize I was a pioneer in the area of big data and numbers and market metrics and market intelligence, uh, as I said, back in the mid-90s, where uh, my boss said to me one day, oh, don't worry, Julia will put that on the internet. I was like, what's the internet? <laughs> and uh, it used to take us six hours to put something onto the internet. So, you know, that's only, what, 20 years ago. I mean, think about how much things have changed in that time. That's just phenomenal. 
So there I am working in a big corporate environment and I was really lucky. I was given a blank sheet of paper and just asked to set up this business unit, which I did and over a period of about uh, 12, 14 years, grew that to be the global market leader in its field. And the problem is I did kind of too good a job actually that we ended up selling it. And so I found myself without a job. <laughs> Wasn't the smartest move I ever did. It was kind of through that journey that we sold the business back in, oh, what, 2008, 2009, which as you will know, was at the height of the recession. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. And, you know, I, it never even occurred to me what I would do next. <laughs> a little bit naive. I'd previously taken a sabbatical from the corporate world, um, spent some time in Colorado with rescue horses, spent some time in Africa out in the bush. And I just kind of thought I'd do those things. And I actually ended up going back to the corporate world after my sabbatical because they made it so cost effective to do it, you know. Oh, Big, yeah. you know, corporate bribe, come back. I was like, oh, okay. So I did and then sold the business. And then I was like, what am I going to do next? And the first thing I did in my rather childlike fashion was train to be a riding instructor because I could now. <laughs> so I went to train to be a riding instructor with no plan about what was going to happen after that and just thought, oh, well, then I'll, you know, I'll go and get a job and everything will be fine. But what I found was that, you know, after I'd done that, because of the economic climate and everything else, I couldn't actually get a job. And people couldn't understand what my skill sets were, and excuse the pun, but they put me in this horse box, you know. They said, oh, she's the girl who does horses. <laughs> and we know how people like to distort and generalize and just, you know, put things in boxes so we can understand the complexity of life around us. Oh, yeah. Uh, Everyone thought I was this horse girl, and that was never really the plan, but it, it kind of put this filter on any of my applications. They're like, oh, she does horses. She's, she, we can't hire her to do marketing or operations in our organization. So I spent a really painful, best part of a year nearly, I think, applying for roles and just not even getting any interviews. And it was the most demoralizing time of my life. It really um, ate away at my self-esteem because I'm like – I thought, well, I've been in the corporate world. I thought I was pretty smart. I thought I knew what to do. And there I was, I couldn't get a job. So I ended up creating my own business through the sheer lack of, I couldn't get a job. So what else was I going to do? <laughs> well, and I think too, I want to mention is that one thing that I've, I, in talking with you previously and also others that have come from, you know, these big fours that that is very, it's really hard to translate to everyone else what you actually did. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, you, they look at your resume and they just do not get it. So, and I just wanted to let listeners know too, that that's so, such a common theme. Mm. I experienced that as well. It's like, how do you translate what you know, what you're amazing at when it's to a specific type of business and you know, you have to, you have to totally transform yourself. So, yeah. And, and we've got, you know, like anyone, we've got amazing transferable skills. But it, again, it's coming back to joining the dots for people, isn't it? So that they yeah. can see how this skill set you had here could be applied somewhere else and how valuable that could be. And I, I find that a lot with people. There's so much joining dots I have to do for people so that they can see how things interrelate together. But that's just life. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's kind of how my business came about. Nothing, I'd love to say it was strategically planned and everything. And it wasn't, it just kind of evolved one day when I was like, Oh, I can't get a job. So I'll have to um, create my own business. And 
you know, and then I was like, what am I going to do? And probably I expect like a, a lot of your other listeners, you know, what you start with isn't what you end with. Yeah. Um, so when I first started my business, I was doing more like project management for companies and, and helping them leverage their products. And I'm, I was pretty good at productizing things for people. So I was doing that. But then to, I went to meet somebody and I, this when I discovered about this whole area of leadership development and partnering with horses to help business owners and business leaders um, develop themselves. And and it was after I, I realized this whole kind of field was out there, I was like, oh my God, my horses have been teaching me the best business and life lessons that I've ever learned. I just didn't really quite understand them at the time. And then I decided that this was a great time to, you know, study NLP and get trained in coaching and then do some qualifications in how to partner with the horses to deliver the solutions that I do today. So yeah, it's kind of cryptic way that I've got to where I am today. <laughs> it's so amazing too. And, and what a perfect example of, you know, following your passion and being able to succeed at mm-hmm. that, you, that you completely love. So one of the things you say is that if something feels like hard work, then you're doing the wrong thing. So tell us a little bit about the personal recipe for success that you've put together. So, you know, when you're back when you're a kid and then, you know, imagine a time when you're just doing something you love and time just flies by and you get to the end of the day and you're like, oh my God, I've been doing that for eight hours and it feels like you've been doing it for two. That's when we call, we're in a state that we call flow. We're in the zone, you know, we're in the moment and everything is just amazing. And The problem is, as we get more into the corporate world and into our busy lives, we spend so little time in that kind of state doing the things that we love. And the things that we love to do, the challenge is, then because we love to do them, we actually often don't want to get paid for doing them. What a big problem that is, because you're creating a business around your passion. And you're like, oh, this is so easy for me to do. Oh, Amy, I'll just do that for you. Oh, no, I'm not going to charge you. And then (laughs) this is why we find so many business owners when they're following their passion aren't getting financially rewarded because they're thinking, oh, this is so easy. I'll just do it for free. And but those things that you're so brilliant at that take you no time, you know, with it really easy to do are the things other people struggle with. And I think we really forget that. So um, there was some research done um, by a gentleman called Stephen Kotler in a book called uh, The Rise of Superman. And he said people on average only spend 5% of their time in flow in this state of doing the things that are easy for them. Wow. I was like, wow, that's a lot of time spending things that we don't love to do. And um, after I just left the corporate world and was kind of going on this journey about figuring out what to do, I came across something called Wealth Dynamics. And Wealth Dynamics is run by a gentleman called Roger Hamilton. And really the essence of it is that he believes that there's eight different ways that we can all be successful. And you really need to just figure out which is the path for you and follow that path. But what most of us do is we try and become Oprah, Oprah Winfrey one day. And then the next day we're trying to be like a George Soros and trade on the stock market. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we're trying to be a bit like a Donald Trump and be a deal maker and wheel and deal on property because out there everyone's telling us, oh, yes, you need to earn passive income doing property and you need to do all these different things. And what the philosophy of, of talent dynamics and wealth dynamics is all about is find the things that you are great at when you are in flow do those and stick with those and then you'll be successful. And when I took this assessment, 
I discovered I came out of something that they call a creator. And when I first read that, Amy, I've got to say, I was like, creator, that's just not me. Because in my mind, a creator was like an artist or a potter or, you know, a musician. And I'm like, I'm none of those. But what I then realized looking back on my corporate career was I was great at creating businesses. And that's what I had been doing. I've been creating that original business unit. Then I've been creating product extensions into health clubs and looking at casinos and the viability of taking data metrics into other industries. And that's where I shone. And the times where I wasn't shining in the corporate world was when I was doing things that we call were out of my flow, which was like managing my team and loads of detailed paperwork and accounts and project planning, which some of those things weren't really my strength. It gave me that permission to realize, oh my God, I hadn't become a bad employee. I just have fallen out of flow. And, and so the real challenge is for all of us is how do we get back into flow and find the things that we love to do um, that keep us inspired and keep us motivated. And the, the real big trick here is to realize you can't get yourself into flow. You can only get somebody else into flow. So if you're not in flow, you need to connect and partner with people that are already in it. So it's like you need to join the river rather than build your own river. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So yeah, that's why it feels like hard work if you're either trying to build your own river or you're trying to create um, something that's not where your real passion and genius lies. So you have a, um, an assessment for this. Yeah, it's an assessment. Um, there's two versions of it. One's called Wealth Dynamics and one's called Talent Dynamics. So Wealth Dynamics is for entrepreneurs, people on the call, which probably is predominantly most of the people on the call. But if anyone is listening is part of a team, uh, then we have a version called Talent Dynamics. And I've got a special offer as well that I'd love to give people either now or at the end where I'm happy to give them a discount so people can take this assessment and find out a little bit about what their profile is and their recipe for success. Because for me, this was transformational uh, for my life and my business. That's awesome. And if you're listening, I'll make sure to put that link under the podcast so you'll be able to access that. And you also work with directly with leaders and some of the challenges that they face. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the top challenges that you have really noticed with some of the leaders that you have worked with? So a lot of the, the work I'm doing at the moment is around leadership and creating high performance teams. And I think the real challenge that leaders are struggling from right now is the complete overwhelm. You know, there's just so much going on. We're living in such a, a busy world where we are just inundated with information and we're in this space that I call attention deficit disorder, you know, ADD. We yeah. just can't focus for all of the pieces of the puzzle coming into us. So I'm really focusing on helping business leaders um, leverage their time, their team and their talents so that they can be more successful and get out of overwhelm. So how do we do that? Well, when we're in that overwhelm, we are uncertain about what's going to go on. We tend to be doing everything as business owners. We're not leveraging our, our time and getting other people to help us. So it's all about how I can help business owners um, empower their team members to take more responsibility and accountability, get more engagement, introduce some concepts to them around the, the whole um, idea of shared leadership because the way that we're currently leading and running our businesses is just not sustainable and actually we need multiple people to work with us to take the pressure off of us because there's no way one leader can see everything yeah and when we look to a herd of horses they've just got a perfect model there 
of how this leadership can work to avoid the overwhelm in that they share the leadership between a lead mare at the front of the herd of horses and a stallion at the back. And whenever I share that with my clients, they're like, that's where they have the biggest epiphany because people are like, oh my God, I don't always have to lead from the front. And I think when we think about leaders, sometimes we think about charging out the front and I have to do everything, but there's other ways that we can lead our businesses and leading it from the back or from behind is a very great way to be able to see everything in front of you and inspire and empower your team to move forward. That's powerful. And one of the things you mentioned as well is the key to confidence and really how important that is when you're a leader and Mm. dealing with the uncertainty and the things that come up. What's some of the ways that you deal with that? Yeah, I think confidence is a really, really interesting thing because in today's world, there's almost, you know, we, we've talked about it. There's no certainty. The only, the, the only certainty is the uncertainty. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, like anything, if you think about it, you know, if you were a team member and your boss doesn't know where, you know, there's a fire in the building and your boss doesn't know where the fire exit is and they don't have the confidence to go there, you're not going to follow them. Um, so with the confidence, it's all about knowing in the moment that it's the right thing to do. And I think some of us, and um, um, my experience is women in particular, sometimes we don't want to make decisions, we lack confidence because we're not sure if we've got it right. But, you know, from everything I've always experienced, you know, it's better to make a decision. We can always change the decision, but be confident about the decision you make in that moment and go with it. And the horses have been great levelers in this regard because if I'm not confident about where I'm leading my horse to, he's never going to go with me but then neither will my team. So if people, if people don't believe in you and you don't have credibility and, um, yeah, credibility and authority, people don't trust and respect you, they're never going to go with you. So I think really that's, that's the big thing is you just got to embrace it and be certain in the moment that you know what's happening. Yeah. You know, and, and also be very vulnerable and transparent that sometimes you don't know and it's okay not to know. But better to be, um, better to share that and say to your team, actually, you know, there's these changes coming up on the horizon in the business, and I'm not sure how that's going to impact us. In my experience, is people value having that authentic conversation than you going gun ho, oh, it's all going to be fine, when actually you don't have any idea. Because when I led the team through the um, whole Arthur Anderson, uh, when Arthur Anderson, which was one of the companies I was working for, literally imploded over a nine-month period and lost its uh, license to be an accountancy firm, we spent nine months in a period of flux, and it was a massive uncertainty. And that was the big lesson I took from leading my team through that transition of all that uncertainty was people just want to know how it is, however bad it is, but then they feel empowered that they can make decisions and choices. When they don't know, they can't do that. So having the confidence to actually say, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is what I do know. Actually, I feel from a leader's perspective, raises your credibility and your authority with your team members because they feel like they're valued. Yeah. They feel that somebody cares for them. That's really good. So now you take te- you actually take teams to physically work with horses. Yeah. 
And what are some of the, you know, the, the outcomes that you've seen with some of these groups? And because that's a very unusual type of coaching. So I'm really interested to see in some of the testimonies that you have in, around that. Yeah. Well, thank you for asking about that. It, it's really diverse. And that's really unhelpful as an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the areas where people are getting real insights are around their leadership style and how they show up. Are they inspiring and compelling? Do people want to go with them? And, you know, AKA, does the horse want to go with them? How do they work in a team? Can they galvanize a team to come together and build trust quickly so that they can get the results they want. So one of the exercises that we often do is the horse becomes a new team member and you have to integrate him within your team and get over an obstacle course. Well, that only happens if the team has absolutely clarity about where they're going and they have really clear communication about what everyone's role is. So for a lot of people, it's... um, It's getting clarity on what's my role in the team, how do I work, which is my preferred leadership position, do I like being leadership position one out the front, do I prefer three, or maybe I want what we call leadership position two, leading from the side, and when do I need to use these different leadership positions to be successful. For other people, actually, it's all about connection and getting back to themselves because, you know, as you and I will know from being at at, uh, Deloitte, you know, it's a very busy environment. You're in your head all your time. You've got your your head down. You rarely look up. And actually just to get out of the office for a day or a couple of days and just the way you see things from a different perspective helps people really reconnect to themselves and who they really are and they start you know, they start unpacking about who they are and also the impact they have on others so that's been a, a really big lesson that's come out for a lot for people particularly this year is what's the impact I have and how am I showing up in the workplace and how does that impact my colleagues and you know we obviously talk uh, the horses obviously are masters at nonverbal communication And people get to understand how their body posture is influencing and sending messages to people. It's sending messages to the horses. It's sending messages to their team members. So they learn how the body posture and how they show up and the energy they show up in, what a massive ripple effect that that can have in the workplace. I mean, I'm sure that you have situations where you're at Deloitte where, you know, people walk in and they're really grumpy and you went, and you're like, how are you? And they're like, oh, fine, I'm fine. And they're just, there's so so much of a disconnect between what they say and how they show up. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, well, and what rang true to me too is your comment about head down, working nonstop. And, you know, you just get into this mode and you're you're constantly working and it's never, and sometimes seven days a week, uh, mostly Mm -hmm. seven days a week. And your comment about taking time to get reconnected to yourself, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I don't, I, you probably can obviously relate with this, but when I shifted from Deloitte and went back to like normal reality, <laughs> <laughs> where I actually had a life, I mean, I think, you know, a pretty, I gave my life up for seven years and, you know, it was amazing to be able to connect again, even with myself and who am I again? 
<laughs> just take a step back from the hustle of, of everything. And I think that that rings true to so many people out there, especially with a lot of the stuff you see online when it comes to entrepreneurs. Sometimes it gives me anxiety because there's people out there just like work, 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 work. And I know that there's a certain demographic of people that have a really hard time doing things and, and applying and starting the work. And I think that those types of people probably aren't good for being an entrepreneur anyway, and they should be working for somebody because that's where they thrive. A lot of times, you know, when you are already that type of personality that works and knows Mm -hmm. how to work hard, and then you see all this, you better work, you better work harder. But yet, when I take time to stop, reflect, stretch, maybe do some yoga, maybe Mm -hmm you know, do some gardening or whatever it may be, I'm a completely different person and able to just bring value rather than just, you know, reaction mode. Yeah. And, you know, if you go back to nature, which a lot of my principles obviously come from the herd and nature, you know, there's a natural ebb and flow to nature. You know, we have different seasons. Everything's changing. You know, there's a time to plant and a time to reap, you know, and it, it always makes me giggle away in a way because you know you if you look at an energy curve you know it goes up and down doesn't it undulates you know when you look at energy and that's what kind of you know nature does it has its quiet periods in the winter where everything slows down and it has spurts of growth but yet you know when we're in the corporate world we've got our foot to the pedal you know straight line and of course what happens when your heart flat lines you're dead (laughs) (laughs) You know, so that's the danger. We're going full pelt and we've got to slow down to speed up. You know, again, if you take a car analogy, you know, if you want to move up the gears to go faster, you actually have to, you know, slow down. And as you change the gear, the the engine slows down in order to go faster. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really important that that taking time out to slow down um, in order to speed up. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. And, you know, so simple, yet so profound. Yeah. And, and, you know, the horses are masters at this, you know, they, they, you know, they conserve their energy. They don't, they don't go full out. They, they're always regulating how much energy that they've got. And because they're always keeping enough for that point when a big mountain lion comes who wants to eat them and they've got to have enough energy to fly away, you know? So, but they're also, I think the thing that, that people really get from, from being with the horses when they start getting reconnected to themselves is that whole piece about being really present and being really mindful, which is what your yoga and your gardening and stuff is, is doing for you. Yeah. Um, and, and so many of us again are going through life, not present, not, not aware of what's happening around us because our head's down. We just don't see anything. Um, and the horses are great at just living in the moment. You know, the horse doesn't walk around going, oh, I'm really annoyed that my friend, you know, ate my blade of grass last night that I really wanted. And, you know, it doesn't have that level of animosity. And we use this great phrase, you know, something happens and they just go back to grazing, you know, and it's just like, they just let it go. Whereas, you know, as humans, we run around going, that's so much wasted time energy and resource doing that it's just like don't sweat the the small stuff just get on with what you need to be getting on with (laughs) yeah well and like getting distracted i sometimes get distracted about really stupid things on social media oh god yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then you know you stop and you're like 
why am I even caring? You know, it's amazing how just those little things can just pull you in. Whole, sorry, that's the whole attention deficit disorder that we're in right now, where, you know, people have got like two seconds out. Go here, go here, go here. Yeah. All of a sudden, days have gone and you're like, I didn't do any work. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, totally. <laughs> you also empower teams to excel and you work with teams. Yeah. Some of the key components of a successful team. Yeah. So I think really for me, the, the fundamental thing that every team has to have is they've got to have a really clear purpose, really clear goal about what they want to achieve. Because when you've got a clear goal, but, but a goal that's really going to make a difference in the world, not a goal that, oh, you know, we need to make 10,000 pounds this month or whatever. You know, that's not very inspiring. But um, this morning I was running a workshop on employee engagement. And this was a massive topic that we were talking about was, you know, what's the purpose of your company? What's, what's the reason that your team members show up for work? What's the, what's the contribution that your organization is making uh, in the world? So knowing, how, knowing what, uh, what the purpose is and the impact think is really important for a team to start getting cohesive behind that and then that impact that has some personal significance to them so it's something that they resonate with comes around that and and then within that then you need really clearly defined uh goals and roles so everyone knows in the words of uh jim collins you know everyone knows what seat they have on the bus yeah and everyone is very dependable then on everyone else. And everyone knows that everyone's going to do their role. And what's interesting in the herd of horses is that um, the lead mare goes round making sure everyone's paying attention. Because, you know, the biggest threat for a herd of horses is where they're going, who's going to eat them. You know, they're prey animals. So um, the lead mare goes round and bites people on the bum if they're not paying enough attention. Because if she snuck up on them, that means a mountain lion could sneak up on them. <laughs> so it's that, you know, knowing that everyone's dependable and doing their role. And then I think the last piece around that for really creating high-performance teams is making people realize that um, they are safe and that their opinions are listened to and they feel heard. Simon Sinek refers to this as the circle of safety. So people want to be within the circle of safety. Yeah. You know, and as a team member, you want to know that, you know, if you've got an opinion or an idea, you can voice it and it gets heard and action is taken on it. Um, and I think when you've got those things in place, so the dependability, the structure, the meaning, the impact and the psychological safety, then that's when we really have the components of a really high performance team. That's really good. And I really like that comment you made about the, the individual important the investment of of how why it's important to me how many times have you been in a project or or whatever it may be and it's there's all these directives but then at the end of the day it doesn't really apply to me doesn't benefit me and I'm not going to be reviewed on this at the end of the year so mm-hmm. I'm not that invested it's a good old what's in it for me isn't it um, and I realized, you know, I was, I was thinking about this recently because I had an incident where um, I keep my horse and I was something I've been doing for the last three years. I was told not to do anymore. And nobody explained to me why. And I was being really rebellious about it. <laughs> I'm like, why? I've done this for three years. Why can't I do it anymore? And actually, there was a very good reason why I couldn't do it. And it was some, to do with some health and safety laws that have come in and stuff. Um, and 
But it was only once I understood the context of why I couldn't do that action that it made sense to me. But yeah, all too often, we're asking people to do things without putting a context and a reason why it's important for people to understand that. But that's the same with our business as well for our customers. You know, why are we doing what we're doing? You know, and what's in, what's in it for the customer of partnering with us for, you know, working alongside us? You know, everyone, everyone at, at the end of the day has got a kind of bit, what's in it for me? <laughs> That's yeah. a bit of a natural human instinct, I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think that in, in me coaching brand new entrepreneurs that want to build a business online, that's the number one thing that we start mm-hmm. talking about is the whole, okay, so think about other people's issues. Like, what are they dealing with? And I think that um, it's so important to get in touch with what mm-hmm. people, what, you know, you had, can have this wonderful passion, this wonderful idea, like you did with the horses. You had this wonderful passion with horses, but you found out a way to take that passion and make it meaningful to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because which, which is incredible, yeah. by the way. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, it's very creative. I mm. certainly would never have thought about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think this is the challenge, you know, for we, we always tell everyone to follow their passion. I totally believe that. But it's got to be a passion that's solving a problem for other people. Yeah. You know, that, that's the thing. You know, we could, we could be the, the most zen person doing something we love, but if nobody wants to buy it, we haven't got a business. We've just got an expensive hobby. Yeah. Um, so it's always bringing it back to, um, you know, w- what's the problem we're trying to solve for the customer? And, you know, I'll be honest, you know, this work with the horses has, has definitely evolved over the, the years I've been running the business. And and right now is, is kind of the time where we're, we're all of us that are doing this work are beginning to get a lot more traction just partly because um, people are looking for more experiences. And this is now beginning to fill a gap in the marketplace around the whole area of experiential learning and millennials looking for better experiences rather than sitting in a classroom to learn stuff. So, you know, as with everything, things evolve um, over time, but it is how do you package things and, and what I call operate on the hoof <laughs> to be <laughs> agile to move your business to, to what are the current needs that people have. And, and that's why most of us, when we set up a business, the business we start with is not the business we end with because we listen to what the customer says and the customer says, I want this. And you're like, Ooh, I didn't even think about that. I think you shared with me when you set up your business, you know, you had no idea what you were going to do and you asked people what they wanted and you're like, Oh, well I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think when I started, I first started out trying to just do consulting work here and there. And then, you know, I really, I just kept trying things to see what the response was. And until I finally hit on something that people were actually interested in. And then I thought, oh, I have a solution. So yeah, 100%. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think that's really important because I, I know I got blinded by that earlier on. I'm like, this is exactly what I want to do. And I, I was, the business had a different iteration. Then at one point I was working with horse owners. Um, helping them around a better relationship with their horse. And I was like, but nobody wanted to buy. Who wants to ever admit they've got a bad relationship with their pet? I mean, really, what was I thinking? So, of course, nobody would say, yes, Julia, I'm in. I, I want to come on your program, you know, because it, it was trying to solve a problem that they didn't think they had. Nobody wants to say they've got a bad relationship, do they? You know, let's face it, none of us really want to admit that. 
even if it is, we, we're not something we're going to admit. So we're not going to put our hands up and go, yeah, I want to buy that, that product or service. So it was a flawed marketing strategy, the original one I went out with to the marketplace. It was what I love to do, but that wasn't what people wanted to buy because they didn't see that as a pro- It wasn't a big enough problem for them because they didn't see it as a problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's so good too, because sometimes you hear people online that said, oh, just take your hobby and make it a business, you know, and it's like, well, <laughs> if you can make it meaningful for, for people, then mm. yes, absolutely true. But yeah, yeah, it's true. And along those lines of the blind spots that, you know, as we're growing our business and we want to expand, what are some of the blind spots that are really important to, to watch out for? Yeah, I think I think this really is the the main one that I see time and time again when people really want to scale is the problem is that they have become the bottleneck in the business and nothing can move without them moving. And of course the challenge <laughs> the challenge is that then you know you as the business owner can never take a vacation because nothing will happen without you. So it's it's so the biggest challenge is really getting getting the business owner out of the business and helping them leverage their team so that the team can be more successful to give them more time. And also, you know, the challenges as well, if the business is just you, then it's not really a saleable entity at the end of it. And most of us have set up businesses because we want financial freedom uh, at the end of the day to create some good income, to have some freedom of time to do things that we want. Um, But sometimes, you know, you get to the end of it and you want to retire but you retire and now the business is retired too because you are the business. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's thinking about, um, you know, one of my coaches always said to me, you've always got to think about what the end game is that you want. And, you know, you, if you're fine having a business that when you retire, your business retires and you've got no um, passive income out of it, well, fine. But most people want something to retire on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's really thinking about as the business grows and scales, you know, how do you take yourself out of the business, you know, depersonalize it, de it in my way or de it in your case, um, so that, you know, it can eventually become a saleable commodity because, you know, people otherwise are buying a business that's you or me and then, then they want us to stay and then we don't get to retire and have the, the time freedom that we wanted in the first place. So I think it, it's it's really about, that get getting getting that structures and processes in place to enable you to get out the business but then also that gets you out of the detail and then you can start seeing the bigger picture you can start seeing more joint venture opportunities you can see where to scale the business to where the next opportunities are coming from because you're not so down in the weeds that you can't see anything that's powerful i think that's so good and I think, you know, too, it's, it, you're, you're reestablishing your significance where when you yeah. first start out, maybe your significance in some ways is tied to what you have created and what you've mm-hmm. developed and being involved in all the details and, and, you know, all of that hustle. But it's so true that when you, when you get to that point, then your value is your legacy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that significance is the legacy that you're leaving behind and, and what you're building from a legacy per- perspective. So th- how many times, I mean, like, do we not think about that? I don't. No. <laughs> we don't. We know. We, and, and, you know, talking about, you know, that business I built within um, Anderson and Deloitte, you know, significance. I remember when I took that sabbatical, 
oh man, I had a meltdown the first week because I, I was known as that business unit. You know, it was Julia hotel, Julia's the hotel benchmark person. And all of a sudden I'm on a sabbatical in the middle of Colorado. Nobody has any idea about my corporate career. And I was just like, who am I? I had a massive identity crisis out of that. So that can be a challenge as well for business owners as they get to that point. You know, we get, we get to retirement or, you know, we want to retire. And then it's like, we're not doing our business. Who, who are we? What do we do? What is our legacy? How are we going to navigate that? And that, that can be a big challenge too for people. On your website, you say success isn't built on size and money spent. It's um, built on quality, excellence, and innovating to stay ahead of the game. Yeah. I'm very passionate about innovation mm -hmm. um, being the key and um, being able to turn on a dime. So how have you been able to help clients achieve that agile you know, positioning in their business? Yeah, I think, as I said, you know, the whole environment nowadays is one where we've got to be agile, we've got to lead on the hoof. And I think really for me, it's about being really present. You know, being aware of what's going on around us is, is massive to, to being able to respond because sometimes we're so, like we said, down in the weeds, we don't even see what's going on around us. Yeah. Um, it's also around creating a a culture that encourages people to experiment um, and for failure to be okay. Because I think so many of us have been brought up in a, in a culture where I know I was, you know, you always get good grades at school and you never fail any exams. And I remember when I first set up my business, I was like, I've never failed at anything. I was like really proud of that. <laughs> and you learn from all these guys, you know, and I was like, cause I hadn't done any personal development really work until, until I set up my own business. And I was like, oh, my God, no, everyone's like, you learn through the failure. I was like, oh, yeah, that, that makes so much sense. But I was kind of wearing this badge that I'd never failed at anything, so I was very cool. <laughs> and it, so, it's so it's creating that culture and that um, opportunity for people to fail and it to be okay because that's the only way we're going to get innovation. I think the other thing is it's, it's, it's having that really clear purpose about where you want the business to go, but also being what we call detached from it. So if it, if it doesn't quite go that way, it's okay. So, you know, if you imagine that you go into a sales conversation with somebody and you really, really want to sell them that product, um, they somehow know, and that's kind of icky. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah, nobody wants to be a salesperson. I certainly don't. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, <laughs> Not the icky, you, slimy type. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when you're so attached to the outcome, you, you can't then see the opportunities to pivot on the way. Yeah. So you, you, we want to set the direction where we want to go, but then it's like, well, this is where we want to be, but recognize that things will take us off course and be able to be okay with that. You know, just take the analogy of if I flew to you at te in Texas, you know, the plane's off course for what is it? Something like 98% of the time it flew from London to Houston, for example. You know, but what the pilot's really good is, okay, I know where I've got to get to and I just need to pivot in the moment to bring it back on track. Yeah. And he doesn't get all flustered about it and he doesn't sweat it. It's just like, I just need to make a few changes along the way. Um, but that's but because he's got that big perspective and he's not stuck in the weeds, he can see that and therefore can do that. So I think that's some of the stuff around innovation. And of course, you know, when we don't create that innovative culture, then we, we see and, you know, witness what's happened to Nokia. You know, I'm sure... You know, when I was at, at Deloitte and Anderson, you know, the Nokia phone was the hot thing. You know, everyone had a Nokia phone. Oh, yeah. 
And, you know, it, it was amazing. I looked at statistics, you know, four in 10 handsets back in 2007, which is what, you know, just what, 11 years ago were a Nokia. I mean, that's incredible. And the irony was that they had invested about 40 billion coming up with something similar to the iPhone, but they didn't think anyone would want it. So when Apple came out with the iPhone, they were just left standing. And of course, you know, we've seen the just complete demise of the company. So they just weren't creating a, a, an innovative culture or believing enough in the innovation they were creating. Well, and I think that's, that's so key too, because if you get into the mindset of, well, we can't do that because this, 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 and this, and you get, you get caught in, you know, let's say it's, it's a timeline of A to Z. You start at mm-hmm. A, you get caught at B, C, and D. You don't even get close to Z. You're always just stuck in the beginning and nothing ever shifts because you're like, well, it can't get done because then I've got to do this. I've got to do this and I've got to do this. Mm-hmm. And how many times do things come together when you just do it? Mm-hmm. You know, when you just step out and do it and don't ask questions and see, okay, well, let's see how far we can get and then, you know, drive the boat. I think I've noticed that even in my own business and stepping out and doing new things and it's, it's like, uh, okay, well, I come up with all these reasons why this isn't going to going to work and why I probably shouldn't be doing it and how am I going to sustain that? But then you step out and you do it and it's amazing how everything just comes together. Mm. You know, all the resources come together, the connections that you need come together, some, some just magically. Mm. And, um, you know, I think that just having that, like you said, that having that mindset of, um, you know, of, of innovation, because if you don't, and it's just stuck on, this is how we've always been doing, always done it, then you will be left in the dust. Your business will be irrelevant. Yeah. And, you know, so it's about, this is about the whole piece of my business, which is about stepping out of your comfort zone. You know, that, that innovation is try something new, step out of your comfort zone, because if you don't, you just stay in this small, you know, little square that actually gets smaller and smaller. So it's like how you're brave enough to, to take that next step in innovation, try something new. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, Amy, but, you know, action is contained within the word attraction. So I'm going to write that down. <laughs> okay. So actually, it goes um, attraction, traction, action. The attraction, you know, law of attraction. You want something, you've got to get some traction. You've got to get some momentum. You've got to take the action to make it happen. That's really cool. I like yeah. That. So then, you know, this whole thing of hopium. Mm, I hope I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars this year. You know, one of my coaches said to me, "There's no such thing as hopium." You know. it's going to come you've actually got to take the action and it is and it's about and I think this is really important for people to understand because it it took me a long time to do this it's about consistency day in day out I've just recently been listening to the compound effect and I've heard about it for a long time but I just listened to the to the audio book and you know the compound effect is you know do one thing next one day and then you know repeat it the next day and the next day and the next day and it could be many months or even years before you see a result but you see a massive result in the end you know so just think about it you know I have a chocolate bar every day and you don't that's one small action but I keep having a chocolate bar every day you know in a year's time I'm going to be weighing like you know a couple of uh, probably 10 or 15 kg more than you know I was weighing at the beginning so it's yeah. a small action that's had a negative consequence. But, you know, to think about that small action, just putting away 
10 bucks a day or something into a savings account, how that would quite quickly over time have a massive impact. Yeah. So it, it, sometimes we think, yeah, I think we think in business, so we've got to do lots of big things, but actually it's the small things done consistently that make the massive shift in our business. Definitely. You think about how, you know, that pressure of, oh, I've got to be doing some big thing. You know, I might look on Instagram and see all these people flying different places and going to all these meetings and they look so active and so productive. <laughs> and then it's so easy to get your your eyes on the, the big wins that everyone else is having, which is obviously the highlights of their life. Sure. You're not seeing the, you know, them in the dirt working and doing the you know, doing those consistent things. And then there you are working consistently, just doing all these little things that the whole world doesn't see. But it's amazing over time, like year to year, you look back and you're like, wow, my life is completely transformed. My business is completely different. Yeah. There's not many of us that get that big epiphany. And, you know, it's like that magic moment, you click your fingers and everything just changes in an instant, you know. That's how it's portrayed, isn't it? A lot, particularly yeah. in the online space about, you know, this guy's an overnight success. Oh, rubbish. You know, most of these people have been slaving away for 10 years. And now all of a sudden, he's found the product or the niche or, you know, the, the Facebook algorithm, you know, that makes things work. Yeah, but talking about the ten years graph that we put in before, it's like all of a sudden, you know, Jeff made three million overnight with this thing. You can too. No, Jeff spent ten years figuring it out. Yeah, you know that's the thing. So yeah, yeah people don't realize that they don't realize the work they yeah. have to go into it. And I think that there's a lot of people that they do, especially with especially with Amazon FBA, which, you know, I do a lot of coaching on people will see these videos from others that say, Oh, I became a millionaire overnight and all that. And it's so, it's not true. And a lot of the people that have been really successful, you know, they have been working on it for 10 years. Mm. Um, but it's just all of a sudden now people are noticing and, and it, the, the word has gotten out so that you can actually create a business doing this. And so, but they want that. They still think that it's just buying random stuff from China and shipping it into Amazon. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, then you have to like take a step back. No, these people have been doing it for 10 years and they've been, you know, really working on products. And, and it's, it's amazing that that instant mindset. Unfortunately, that's what we live in nowadays is this instant gratification world. Yeah. You drive up, you get, you know, you drive through McDonald's instantly, you get your burger, you know, you decide on Amazon. A, a friend of mine actually the other week, he, he posted on Facebook, you know, he was at home and he'd left his, um, his charger for his Mac in the office or something. So he just goes on to Amazon and he ordered one and a drone delivered it in about half an hour. A drone? Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I was like, wow, you know, that's, that's how instant gratification we've become. You know, we want something and we want it now. You know, most of us have got Amazon Prime, haven't we? You know, we've got to get it the next day. You know, yeah. what's that about? That's crazy. <laughs> and I'm guilty, you know, I'm guilty. I'm oh yeah, <laughs> me too. I'm looking at the microwave and it's cooking for one minute and I'm like, yeah. okay, when is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is so slow. <laughs> 
So I don't think people have really, you know, we, we've lost that art of realizing that, you know, things take time, you know, go to go back to nature, you know, you don't just plant the seed and it comes up tomorrow. It has to germinate through the seasons. So um, and what we, what I see in a lot of businesses is exactly that analogy. They plant it and then they try and reap it, you know, pull the seeds up before it's had time to grow and germinate. Um and that's why there's a rhythm to things that need to happen. But we just want to, you know, another, I, I think you'll like this analogy. I don't know. Oh, you might not have this in the U.S. Do you don't have Argos in the U.S., do you? I, I haven't heard okay. that. Okay. So Argos is this store that you go into in the U.K. And, like, you fill out, you know, the order that you want. And you take it up to the counter and you give it to the girl. And in the background, it's like a big warehouse. And, you know, the warehouse man goes away and finds you know, it goes to find the product you want and bring it back. Okay. So, and this is how one of my coaches described it. And I thought this was a really good analogy. He said, you know, most of us are going through life and it's like we go into Argos and we say, this is what we want. You know, we want to have a really successful, um, you know, business in Facebook ads, for example. We go out, we put the order out to the universe. Oh, now we get bored. We cancel that order before it arrives. <laughs> and, you know, oh, no, now I want a, a, a really successful property business. Nobody's sticking at anything long enough for it to come back. You know, we're putting all these orders out, and it, it's like you're in a restaurant, and you order a steak, but before the steak arrives, you go, oh, no, no, I, I, you know, I want a pasta dish. Yeah. <laughs> and, no, you know, no, nothing's got that time to germinate and actually get delivered because we keep changing our minds about what we want. Yeah. <laughs> so powerful and so true <laughs> oh my gosh we could talk yeah. on that for a whole nother <laughs> yeah that's for sure I, you also you have an understanding of the shifts that businesses need to make with different market changes what are some ways that leaders can stay in tune and you know you had mentioned earlier not staying in the weeds so much and and being able to to see what's going on but what are some strategic ways that they can um apply to their business I think it's, it's experimentation. It's listening to the customer. It's trying new things. I think all of us, you know, none of us know where the next next big innovation is going to come from. But, you know, somebody like Elon Musk, he, he's, he's thinking things that aren't even possible right now. Yeah. And he's almost like creating the reality, if that makes sense, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll put, you know, Richard Branson. Yeah, we'll put people in space. And, you know, so they're just creating this vision about what could be possible without, without limitations, really. And, and then we get bought into it. And then people, you know, as humans, we're really adept at finding solutions to things if the vision is big enough and inspiring enough to try and do it. So, you know, Branson said we were going to put people in space. You know, he's got loads of celebrities that have paid him, what, you know, quarter of a million or so to do it. I mean, he was meant to have been in space, what, this year or last year? And, you know, it's going to be years and years. But, you know, people have bought into the vision of, I want to be on that first spacecraft and have donated and, you know, paid him loads of money up front to achieve it. So I I think, you know, we're, we're all looking for something new and something innovative. And we, as, as business owners, we just need to create that space for that to happen and for, to let our minds go a bit wild and crazy and, and see what's possible. Because most of the inventions we've got today wouldn't have come around. You know, they've, they've only come around by people trying things and being adventurous and, and doing something different and experimenting. And then, and then they've eventually come into fruition as they've then got, you know, commoditized. 
yeah. over time. But but they're things, you know, who would have thought, you know, even five years ago, Uber would have existed. And, and I think the interesting thing about what, what we're seeing now with these types of companies is they're companies that are being built with no assets. You know, in the old days, if you wanted to have a business, you had to go and build a shop and everything else. And, you know, Uber... It doesn't own anything. Let's face it. You know, all the, all the taxi drivers own their own cars and bring them in. I mean, this is an incredible business model. Airbnb. I mean, the hotel industry has really got a little bit left on the back foot by people like Airbnb. You know, yeah. they, I don't think they ever thought that would be competitive to them. Yeah. And now my, my old business that I used to run there, which was collecting market data, now collects data from Airbnb as part of the whole thing because hotels now see them as competitive. It's like, wow. Yeah. So I think I think it's just staying really open to to what's possible and just having some really big ideas and and seeing where they can go and not shutting anything down and just going well just because it doesn't seem logical maybe it could work. And I think a lot of the businesses that I've seen being really successful in this space are where people are creating something because they needed it. You know, I saw I came across a company recently the other day and turmeric is a really big thing over here for health. And, um, you know, a local company around here has created these amazing turmeric pellets that you can give your horse because she needed something for her horse and couldn't find anything. And, you know, there's a kind of recipe where you have to mix it with oils and everything. It's a bit laborious. And she's like, well, nobody wants to do that. So she's basically packaging everything so it makes it easier for everyone else and, and created an amazing niche doing that. So I think it's all about how do we make other people's lives easier because, yeah, we could all do that ourselves, but most of us don't want to because we've not got enough time. So you have two books, Unbridled Success and The Alchemy of Change. Yeah. A little bit about both of those? Yeah, so just quickly. So Unbridled Success is kind of my life story about the lessons I learned from horses and how they have helped me develop as a leader, develop my team working skills and improve my communication skills. And The Alchemy of Change is a book about really how to align your business and create a high performance business where you've got a really effective business culture with really empowered team members. Um, You are showing up as a really amazing leader who um, can inspire and galvanize your team. And so you create this really good culture where people want to work. And so what I was happy to do, Amy, was um, there's a really interesting chapter in my book on unbridled success, which is all about teamwork and talks a little bit about the talent dynamics and wealth dynamics that we we referred to earlier on. I'd be more than happy to let people have a a chapter from that book. So I can give you the URL for that as well, which is a... Thank you so much. No, that's fine. I appreciate that. They can get your books, um, order them as well on businesshorsepower.com. Yeah, on my website, or they're all on Amazon. I know a lot of your readers are in the U.S., so they can actually purchase stuff on Amazon as well, on Amazon.com. Both of the books are there. But if they want signed copies, they need to come from me over there in the U.K. (laughs) That's awesome. So I have one question, last question for you today. Okay. I didn't give you. What piece of advice would you give yourself when you first started out as an entrepreneur now looking back? Oh, God, that's easy. That's so easy. Oh, so the the piece that I totally missed when I started out in business was I when I when I set up this business, like I said, it wasn't planned. I thought I'm pretty smart. How difficult can this be? And I invested a lot of time and energy in the early days in my business, learning strategies and tactics, and you know, um, 
you know, how to build websites, even that was still quite new back then, but, you know, practical things to do in the business. Um, what I didn't appreciate was that actually I, I now fully believe that being in business, your success is 80% to do with your mindset and 20% to do with your t- strategies and tactics. So I didn't appreciate how my how I was actually sabotaging my own success in the early days because I either wasn't believing in my products and services. I wasn't confident about what I was offering to people. I had a lot of money gremlins going on. (laughs) Oh, I can't charge for this. This is something I love to do. I can't charge for it. Why would people ever pay me for this? So it's a whole piece I think around mindset and, and really how important that is. And for me, as I said, you know, now looking at business, it's 80% about how we show up, how, what our mindset is, you know, how much we believe in our products and services and the transformation they can make, how passionate we are about things. And then, you know, the Facebook ads and LinkedIn processes and sales strategies, that's secondary in a way um, to, to how you show up in your business. There's an energy that we're all putting out each and every day in every single interaction. And, you know, people only want to connect with you if you're showing up as trustworthy, somebody who's reliable and that, you know, they want to work with. And that's about an energy and a connection. And I don't think I spent enough time as well in the early days understanding that it was all about relationships. And I think the pendulum right now is swimming even further towards building those relationships face-to-face um, you know, we, we spent a long time in the online space, you know, and everyone was just selling online and people, people wanting relationships again. People are craving that connection. Yeah. Want to buy from people they know, like, and trust. That's so powerful. Well, and I think, yeah. you know, I struggled on YouTube for years wanting to grow a YouTube channel. And to that point, the one video on my channel that went viral that still gets views today compared to all of my other videos is just, was just me in a dark room on Facebook live and I had nobody on my Facebook <laughs> and I was just being honest mm. and you know, Ooh, the information I found. And, and it was amazing because, um, it taught me that the more authentic that I could be and just yeah. share my heart, the, the more that, you know, people could a identify and trust me and I didn't have to always come across as super professional. And I mean, I think that even sometimes my messy Facebook lives that aren't that great and my hair is sticking up and, and all of those, um, people enjoy more than when I do a tailored video that is all, you know, with all the, the, the fancy graphics and all of that. Yeah, no, and I so agree with that. And I think for you and I both coming from that corporate space, you know, I know I still like, oh, it's, it's not professional. I remember once upon a time listening to somebody and they were doing a, a video. This was a days before Facebook Live, you know, and their phone rung in the middle of it. And I just thought that was outrageous and totally unprofessional, you know. Yeah. But people, people have got to be connectable. You know, when we show up in business, people need to connect with you. And if, if everything's too perfect, it, it seems unattainable for the types of clients that we're working with, you know, and so we need to meet people where they are. Yeah. Um, so that being really transparent and vulnerable and, and sharing about, you know, what the challenges have been, I think makes us much more connectable with other people. Yeah. Um, and, 
and and that that has worked been another piece of kind of you know more of my success and like you you know on my website the page where I kind of talk about my journey and you know the fact I was kind of unemployable with these two lever arch files and my confidence being dented that's what people always say oh I really liked your personal story on your website and I was like wow okay <laughs> that's yeah the people, that's the piece people read and 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 resonates with them well I want to thank you so much for coming on today it, it has just been I can't believe that this hour has just gone by so fast, yeah. <laughs> it <really has. laughs> it's been wonderful though it's been a wonderful podcast and thank you so much for coming on Oh, no, you're so welcome. It's been such a pleasure. I've loved spending time with you. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. Well, and if you're listening today, if you want more information about Julia, you can go to businessforcepower.com, and I will put all the links to the wonderful discounts and um, freebies that she mentioned during the podcast um, on my website. So if you want more information about Thrive Radio, you can go to acalltothrive.com. This is your host, Amy Montgomery. Thank you so much for listening in and have a wonderful week.